Tactical sports take. Inbound. Who the fuck is that guy? Beat him off. Stomp on his head as he's unconscious. Five-tool commentator. <laughs> he's the Willie Mays of sports <laughs> broadcasting. DiMaggio. It's time now for North Star Sports, your source for the hottest sports takes in the business. Here's your host, Owen Ely. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Owen Ely Show. I'm your host, Owen Ely. You can follow me on Twitter at Owen Ely MN. You also can follow North Star Sports on Twitter at North Star MIN. Be sure to check out our website at NorthStarSports.media. And welcome into the show, everyone. We have a fucking fantastic one for you here as we're set to preview UFC 268 Usman versus Covington, which, which will take place in the matter of uh, a couple of hours here on uh, Saturday, November 6th. Um, I'm trying to draw out this intro as much as I can. By the way, great to be back with you guys. Uh, we've had a little bit of a break, but I'm trying to draw out the intro because the intro just seems to get cut off on some of my uh, recent shows, and I don't really know why that is, but like the first 35 seconds just get cut out, and then it just, the show starts with me talking like right now. So I think we're at the one minute mark here. I think, uh, you know, a little uh, on-air production meeting here, but, you know, I think now we're going to start the show because now it should be good. I just, you know, this is the problem with using audacity you know it's been great i love audacity very simple to use used it a lot in college uh it i I do believe audacity is superior to uh, adobe edition uh although i would not deny for a second that uh you probably could do more stuff with in fact you, you definitely can do more stuff with audition but uh for some reason you know when you don't pay for software uh you know shit can go wrong so you know that's my little uh my little spiel there but uh, no, it is absolutely awesome to be back, to be back with you guys. Uh, this has just been probably the greatest eight days in recent UFC history. I mean, we had, we had UFC 267. I missed the preview and the recap for that, but, you know, it is what it is. Uh, and, you know, we, we have two pay-per-views absolutely stacked back-to-back. I mean, this one is the most loaded pay-per-view of the year. Uh, you know, there's nary a fight on here that I'm not interested in, and I genuinely uh, mean that. There is only one female fight on the card, so, you know, maybe some people could draw some conclusions. Uh, with that, I would never draw those conclusions, nor would I ever suggest anything. I just point out that that's a really weird oddity. Um, but, uh, no, I mean, it's going to be awesome. 14 fights uh, on this pay-per-view, so not the biggest pay-per-view in the world, but, you know, Certainly not the smallest. We've definitely had smaller. Uh, main card showdown. I don't even know what number we're on. We're so far behind with our rankings that I'm just going to go with the UFC rankings because, you know, I've been I've been slacking a little bit on the rankings. I will get those updated today. I promise. Today I will update those rankings. But uh, no, this is this is fantastic. Um, I think that's about all the housekeeping I have. So I mean, we're going to waste absolutely no time. On this one, we'll get right into the main event because we go we go top to bottom now because we're big boys. We don't you know we don't want to blue ball people by going bottom to top. You know we're gonna get to the to the meat of the stuff first. So obviously in the main event uh, we have the rematch between the welterweight champion Kamaru Usman and the number one contender Colby Chaos Covington. Usman is 19 and one. Covington is 16 and two. Uh, we will take a look at the odds for this one via Odds Shark. And Kamaru Usman is the minus 250 favorite. The line is uh, steadily moving uh, in favor of Kamaru Usman. Or, well, yeah, I guess in favor. Not in favor if you want to bet for him, but uh, in favor of Usman. I believe he was like a minus 150 favorite. And obviously there's a million fucking sports books. But I believe he was something like the minus 150 favorite like a week ago, and then it just keeps growing and growing. He's the minus 300 at Bovada, minus 300 at Bet Online. Uh, the highest one I'm seeing is minus 320 at Intertops, but I don't know. I don't know who they are. I mean, they could just be bums. Unless they want to pay me money, then you know I'll I'll shout out uh, Intertops. But 
uh, yeah, and I, honestly, I don't really know why. I mean, I, I mean, I know why lines move and mo- you know enough money comes in on one side, the the line's gonna get moved. But uh, I just find that interesting. I think you know, starting off, uh, you know, the, the conversation here uh, in the main event. I think a lot of people are forgetting how good how good the first fight was. Like it was pretty fucking close. Like a lot of people are making it seem like Usman is just going to run through Colby Covington and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to say that's certainly not the case. That's I promise you Kamaru Usman will not run through Colby Covington. I'm not even saying he won't win. I'm not saying he won't finish him quicker than uh than than he did before. I'm also not saying the opposite. But this is for sure going to at least be the second toughest test of his career with potentially the first being the first time they fought. I mean, it's 1A and 1B. You know, Gilbert Burns, that was kind of cool. You know, he knocked out a uh, super old Damian Maya who's not known for striking. Um, you know what I mean? He, he had a fucking really weird rematch with Jorge Masvidal, which never should have happened, and thankfully Masvidal got knocked out because that's what should have happened uh, in that second fight because it, it, it was just some of the dumbest matchmaking I've ever uh, seen. And, you know, the toughest challenge of his career has been Colby Covington. And I see a lot of people saying, and I'm not even saying, uh, you know, that, that this isn't a talking point or that it's not a part of the equation, but a lot of people are saying, well, okay, look at the first fight and look at what Usman has done since. Okay, so very convincing win over Masvidal, uh, you know, a come from behind, if we want to say that, victory against Gilbert Burns, and then a knockout of Jorge Masvidal. And Covington, the only thing he's done is beat Tyron Woodley, and beat him very convincingly. Didn't Tyron didn't win a second of that fight. Not that Tyron won a second of the fight against Usman when he was a champ. Um, but, you know, hey, Usman's a lot more active. We've seen him grow. Uh, and I mean that's fair. That's that that's fair. Uh, the level of competition is a little interesting. I think there probably were tougher matchups to be made. Um, I guess specifically with the the second Masvidal fight, I think that was absolutely crazy. Um, but we don't know that Colby hasn't improved as well. And it's it's kind of tough to even say Colby's has improved. Because in that Tyron Woodley fight, what did he really improve on? It was just utter dominance. It was an A-plus performance. You know, did he did he improve from his A-plus performance against Lawler? I mean, we had the Usman loss in the middle. But, like, what what specifically was the difference between the, the Lawler fight and the Woodley fight? I think the stats probably were a lot more impressive in the Lawler fight because that was a historically epic performance. But what was the difference? Colby imposed his will. Woodley and Lawler didn't win a second in that fight. He used his cardio to drown both fighters, took him down at will, probably took Lawler down a lot more than than Woodley, but he still took Woodley down a handful of times at will whenever he wanted. So it's like, I don't know. I mean, he just kind of melts. He literally just runs through people. And obviously, Kamaru has improved, and we could we could point to his striking we could we could point to him refining his power because he probably was always a very powerful guy. Or I don't even want to say very powerful because that's so cliche to be like, oh well, man, you got to watch out for this fighter who's got power. Kamaro's a big boy. I'm sure he's always been up and up. You know, he's had above average power, uh, you know, for his entire career. But for whatever reason, you know, probably through working with Trevor Whitman, we're seeing that power actually. Uh, I don't even I don't want to say increase because it probably was always there, but. You know, we're seeing the power come in. I mean, we're seeing... He wasn't... There was certainly never a finish like he had on Masvidal early in his career. I mean, Kamaru was winning decision after decision after decision. He really was not finishing fights, and he certainly was not knocking people out, KOing people. Uh, you know, we saw the power jab against Gilbert Burns. But the interesting, the interesting thing in this fight is that we haven't exactly seen flawless performances from Usman since the Covington fight. Now, the the first Masvidal fight was pretty good, pretty dominant, not really close. I would say he won every single round. It's kind of, it's kind of weird to say you win every round and it's not dominant, but 
he wasn't really close to finishing Masvidal in that first fight. He was controlling him. He never let Masvidal really have, uh, you know, moments where you thought he was going to do anything. Maybe in rounds one and rounds two with some of those quick bursts that Masvidal had, maybe he was kind of getting close to tagging Kamaru, but Kamaru settled down, got a lot more tighter, obviously clinched him up a lot, you know. So that was a good performance, obviously. The Gilbert Burns fight is is interesting, and I and you know he was pretty close to getting finished. I went back and rewatched that fight uh, a couple days ago. He was pretty fucking close to getting finished a couple of times from Gilbert Burns, and I don't really know what Burns was doing. I'm not I'm not a fucking Trevor Whitman. I'm not a striking coach guru, so I don't you know know technically what Gilbert was doing, but he was catching him, uh, you know, by, by doing something. And then, you know, we saw Usman really settle down, stop swinging wildly. That's a huge concern um, with Usman as he swings really wild at times. Like, he really he really wings those hooks uh, sometimes, uh, you know, to, where it looks like, uh, you know, we've all seen him on, like, Reddit or LiveLeak, you know, like high schoolers fighting where they're just, you know, swinging punches from the hips. Um but then he just he he settled down, started working the jab, and and obviously finished him uh, later on in that fight. And then the second Masvidal fight, I really just throw that out the window. That never should have happened. That's you know just a, a you know an embarrassing matchmaking uh, ordeal there. But it seems like there's less there's less to critique with Colby, and it's it it's kind of weird because Kamara won the first time, but it was two two it was two to two going into that final round. Okay, uh, you know, this stoppage, was it a fake stoppage? I mean, it wasn't the best stoppage I've ever seen. Well, you know, it also wasn't the worst stoppage. It was a bad stoppage. I don't think it was a good stoppage. I think it probably could have gone. I, You know, and, and I think the stoppage kind of did a disservice to Kamaru in a way. Because I think if that fight, I mean, let's be real. Like, if that fight goes five seconds longer, Kamaru lands five or six more punches... And then it becomes glaringly obvious that the fight's over. But, you know, that's out of Kamaru's control. He's not the, he's not the ref. But I think the stoppage was a little bit early. Even if, the, even if the stoppage never happened and the fight just continued and, say, Colby recovered, he would have lost the fifth round and, you know, Kamaru would have won 48-47 on, on the scorecards. Um, a lot of people are going with Kamaru Usman. I'm going with Colby Covington. I think Colby Covington's going to pull it off here. Um, I think, uh, you know, I, I think his striking is going to improve. I mean, uh, you know, watching some of those, uh, like, preview videos and stuff like that, Colby never even knew how to move his head. He had no head movement up until uh, he switched camps. So I think Colby stri- Colby's striking is going to be better. Uh, I think he has better cardio than Kamaru. Although, you know, we're, you know, comparing, we're basically comparing number one versus number two when it comes to cardio. So I'm not saying, you know, Colby's going to fucking drown him. But I think, I think nobody in the UFC has better cardio than Colby Covington. Uh, number two might be Kamaru Usman. Um, but I think, I think the big difference in this one, honestly, is, is going to be uh, wrestling. I, I really think wrestling is going to be the key for, for Colby to win. And Kamaru's a good wrestler, D2 national champion. Colby Covington was an All-American, D1. Uh, but I, th- I think Colby's the better wrestler, and I don't really know why they didn't wrestle uh, the first time. And I-, I don't really think it matters how much of a, be- of a better wrestler Colby is going to be, but I think, he- I think he wrestles a little bit in this fight. And even if he doesn't really get takedowns, I think just mixing it up is going to do wonders for him because... I think we're, we're starting to realize that Kamaru is a really good striker. You know, for a long time, it was like, oh, Kamaru is a wrestler. And then, oh, now that he starts knocking people out, he's a good striker. I think he always was kind of a good striker. I think he's getting better. Uh, but Kamaru is a good striker. Colby's a really good striker. For everybody who's like, oh, he's got pillow hands, he doesn't throw with 100%. He throws with 30%, you know, all the time and just throws crazy volume. Colby's a really good striker. He might even be a better striker than he is a wrestler. But, you know, people don't really want to admit this or they're just too dumb to, 
you know, realize, uh, you know, how good of a striker both these guys are. But it's it's kind of weird when you have two guys who have who have a strength and they just don't use it. Like, I don't know. Like it'd be like Peyton Manning playing uh, Tom Brady, and then you know they just agree that they're gonna play like dual threat quarterbacks, and it's like, okay, I mean you're two of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, but you're not really known for being a dual threat quarterback. I mean, it's just kind of kind of weird they didn't try to wrestle and I don't think and the reason why I think that the wrestling is going to go in favor of Colby just with the element of surprise and mixing things up is Kamaru won the first time Kamaru won the first time and we haven't really seen him we've probably seen the the percentage of him wrestling decrease over his last three fights so I don't it would it would actually kind of shock me if Usman was the first to shoot for a takedown I think Usman is going to expect or just prepare for it to be a kickboxing match again. Uh, but who knows, maybe that would really fuck up Colby if Usman was the first one to shoot for a takedown just to fucking mix things up and, and you know, do whatever. But it's always interesting when you get rematches because the, the onus is on the person who lost to make the corrections. But then we get into weird, you know, mental games and, and preparation games where it's like, well, I know that he's going to have to change, so how much do I change? But do I want to change anything because I won last time? And it's, you know, there's just this vicious cycle of, you know, wondering what you should do. But, you know, I like Colby Covington in this one. The first fight was so much closer than people realize. You know, if it went to a decision, maybe Colby could have won, honestly, because he outstruck him significant strikes, and obviously judges don't have access to live stats. But he outstruck him with significant strikes for three of those rounds. I think rounds round one, two, and four, he outstruck him. So even with that little knockdown, say Colby recovers, it still could be 48-47 um, for, for Colby Covington, or maybe it's a fucking draw, or who knows. Um, obviously, getting finished is not the, uh, not the scenario you want. But I think Colby pulls it off. I think people are underestimating him. And I really hope Colby wins. Because how fucking awesome would it be if we got Usman versus Covington 3? I mean, th- we need a trilogy with this one. And if Kamaru wins, you know, we're probably never getting a trilogy. Although you never know, because Kamaru just seems to pick wh- whoever he wants to fight. You know, he got he got to fight Mosfet off of a one-year layoff off of a loss. So, who knows? We might just get a trilogy anyway. But, uh, you know, I would love to see a trilogy. I would love to see Kamaru Usman lose. And I, I'm a big fan of Kamaru Usman, and I don't say that as in, like, I hope he loses, but I would love to see, like, how he responds after a loss. Maybe he's more accurate, because, you know, I don't hope I don't hope he loses. Um, but, you know, how would he handle being the number one pound-for-pound guy, losing, going into a trilogy with a guy you fought, well, fucking, obviously a trilogy, you fought him twice before, but... You know, there's real history there. And the lead-up to this fight has been so fun. I mean, the the press conferences. I mean, Colby Covington. People love this guy. I mean, anybody who hates Colby Covington is just a fucking dummy. You know, they're just they're just sheep. They're, they're little seals, uh, you know, getting mad at something that's intended to make them mad. I mean, you see the reaction at the press conferences. People love Colby Covington. It's very obvious he's not a bad person. But, you know, people are fucking stupid. Um... But yeah, no, I think Colby's going to win, and I think he's going to win by decision. I don't really see him finishing Kamaru, although it's it's kind of weird because Gilbert came close to finishing him, and obviously I'd say Gilbert has more power and, and, and than Colby Covington, but it's there are these opportunities with Kamaru Usman at times. It seems like early in fights, sometimes there are these opportunities that Usman presents where he hasn't been finished yet. I mean, he, you got to give credit to him. He's tough as shit and you know always always you know comes up with a dub but there are just these there are these holes sometimes with Kamaru and uh you know he fights enough time uh, enough times you know somebody's gonna exploit it but you know whether or not it's tonight I mean we'll wait and see but Colby Covington by decision all right, moving on to the co-main event it's for the UFC Strawweight Championship of the World, and it's between the champion Rose Namajunas and the number one contender Weili Zhang. Namajunas is ten and four. Zhang is twenty-one and two. We'll take a look at the odds for this one, and Rose is going to be the minus one twenty-five favorite according to the opening, according to every other sports book on uh, Odds Shark. Weili Zhang is going to be uh, roughly a minus 125 favorite, minus 120 at some of them. 
So really, it's basically a pick'em. It's basically a pick'em. You know, I saw an interesting stat earlier that um, champion, female champions who lose their belt when they fight uh, in a rematch for said belt, I think they're like one in seven. And the only person, or not rematches, uh, when they get back to a title shot, they're one in seven. The only person to ever become a female champion, lose the belt, and become a two-time female champion is obviously Rose Nami Yunus. So the numbers are, well, that specific cherry-picked stat, which I would say is a somewhat relevant stat, uh, would not be in favor of, uh, of Wei Li Zhang. Um, this, this pay-per-view is really where I get paid the big bucks because so many of these fights, almost every single fight on this card, certainly every fight on the, on the main card, is so fucking hard to pick. I could easily go 0-5 tonight, and it wouldn't even shock me. I'd just go, meh, okay. Because all these fights are so close. I mean, how can you how can you pick who's going to win here between Rose and, and Wei Li? I mean, Wei Li was, was you know, as dominant of a, of a female fighter as we've seen in a long time. I mean, just running through uh, fighters. You know, we know, we know that she's tough. We know that you know, I'll say it. We know that her getting knocked out in the first round is a fluke. We know it's a fluke. And that's not to take anything away from Rose. But we kind of know that's a fluke, you know, because we the, the fight before, we saw Wei Li, you know, go through hell, you know, in, in the fight of... The greatest fight of all time on the female side of things against Ioana. So we know she can take a punch. We know she can dig deep. Uh, you know, we know she's better than getting knocked out in round one. The the real question is, that's not even a question that we know that Whaley's better than that. But how much better is she? Maybe Rose still wins, but we know that the fight is going to be a lot more competitive and a lot closer and going to last a lot longer than it did the first time. These are just, you know, never say never in, in, in you know, MMA, but these we know this for a fact. I mean, we know this for, we know this for true, uh, as some people might say. And then Rose, we don't really know what to ex- expect from her. We know that when she's the underdog, she generally performs pretty well. We know that when expectations are high, she doesn't perform very well. She's got a really odd uh, mental space. She's surrounded by interesting individuals, some good, some bad. You know, an amazing coach in Trevor Whitman, an amazing uh, background, an amazing uh, background uh, you know, of a guy in, in Pat Barry who does very interesting things with words that may be associated with, you know, hairdressing and, and hair salons, uh, you know, and, and, you know, general upkeep, uh, you know, on bodies, you know, you know. So, allegedly, allegedly, I have to code this in a million fucking different ways, but, you know, just just Google Rose Nami Yunus and Pat Barry and, you know, age and you know things like that and you know just interesting stuff there you know with pat barry who seems like just a stand-up guy you know and definitely not a deranged scumbag piece of shit um you know nobody would ever say that that'd be crazy if people said that and i would disavow people actually if they said that um but all, all of that all of that aside you know it's so it's so difficult to you know pick rose nami Yunus to win or or to lose you know, it seems like she's in a better place, and God bless, but she really didn't want to be champ last time. Now, maybe she's figured some things out, and, and you know, we'll find out, but it's just, it, it's so hot or cold with Rose Nama Yunus and her mental space, which really seems to impact her ability to fight, that, you know, I don't, I don't know. So, you know, I, I like Wei Li Zhang in this one. I like Wei Li Zhang. Um... I think striking is going to be interesting. I don't really know who's a better striker. I mean, you know, it's kind of tough to say because Rose knocked her out, you know, fucking seven months ago. But, you know, Wei Li Zhang has heavier hands. She finishes fights uh, better. She's going to, you know, sacrifice a little bit when it comes to the reach, but she's got a shorter average fight time. Uh, You know, she's a far more active striker. The differential between significant strikes landed and absorbed is a lot higher for Wei Li Zhang. It's almost plus two 
for Weili Zhang, for Rose Namajunas, it's barely plus 0.2. Not even, not even plus 0.2. So more of a one-for-one uh, fighter there. And then when it comes to grappling, you know, I think that's, I think that's where this fight gets interesting. And this is going to be a common theme throughout the entire night. Of boy, this fight would be interesting if grappling, you know, ever got implemented. These, you know, both these fighters are very good grapplers. I mean, Rose Nami Yunus, 1.8 takedowns, 1.9 takedowns per 15. Wei Li Zhang, 1.2. Uh, you know, Rose is better at, at taking down fighters than Wei Li. Wei Li is better at stuffing takedowns than Rose. Rose does not have good takedown defense. And they're both active on the ground. And, you know, Wei Li Zhang's training out there in, in Arizona with uh, Eric Albaracine and and Henry Cejudo. So I really like that. I like, I don't know where she was training before. I think just in China. Um, but uh, I, I like the change in camps. I think that's a really good camp for her to go to. I think uh, her learning to, to wrestle even better uh, with, with clearly a camp that knows how to wrestle is is, is going to be interesting. The takedown is obviously there with Nami Yunus. So, you know, Nami Yunus is dangerous on the ground with submissions. Uh, you know, if, if Wei Li Zhang is careful, I, I think she wins. I think she wins. I think, honestly, and this is mostly because of the Yoana fight, you know, on Wei Li's side, I think we know for a fact that Wei Li can dig deeper than Rose. Uh, Rose might be... Rose might be a little more dangerous, although obviously Wei Li Zhang, you know, has got some hands. But you know, I, I'm gonna go Wei Li Zhang by decision. I think this one goes the full 25. I think I think the improvements in wrestling, uh, and and the improvements in uh, game plan, or at least the execution of a game plan, because uh, clearly things did not go right the first time, is gonna go in favor of Wei Li Zhang. So we'll pick uh, Wei Li Zhang by unanimous decision. Actually, just by decision. Could be split. Could be majority. Could be a technical decision for all I know, but a decision in favor of Wei Li Zhang. All right, moving on to the featured bout on the main card. It's going to be between Frankie Edgar and Marlon Vera in the bantamweight division. Frankie Edgar is 24-9-1. Vera, 19-7-1. Uh, if I ever could find the uh, odds here, uh, they'll show that uh, Marlon Vera is the minus 150 favorite. Again, a very tough fight to pick. I mean, I'm going to say it every single time. Uh, Frankie is ranked number eight. Uh, Vera is ranked 13. I don't think we have that from North Star Sports, but my rankings are so outdated, I don't want to use them. Um, this is going to be interesting. It's one. It's honestly one of those fights where you know, it's gonna go one way, and you're you're gonna be pissed that you went the other, because here we have Marlon Vera, who I think is right up there for the most finishes, uh, in in, in bantamweight history. And this is a guy who has a lot of wins in the bantamweight division. I, I throw out, I throw out the 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 Song Yadong fight because I think that was a bad decision. This is really just a guy who, in the last, you know, three four years, has had like, you know, ten fights, and he's only lost to Jose Aldo. And he's a dangerous fighter, good striker. He's well rounded, as well. He's he's a finisher, but he's going up against a guy in Frankie Edgar, who was known for having a really good chin. He is forty, which is very fucking old for bantamweight. I mean, that is insanely old for bantamweight. Uh, but a guy who in his last, uh, let's see here, one, two, three, four, five, six, in his last, in his last six fights, has been he's been finished in three of them. He's lost four of them. He's been finished in three of them. So it's a guy who his chin does not seem to be there. He's very old. He's a, he's a good wrestler. We know that. But he's coming off of a loss in February, a 28-second flying knee knockout loss to Corey Sandhagen, which feels like that happened like two years ago. That doesn't even feel like that happened nine months ago. Um, so it's it's very tough because you never can count as my phone just goes fucking insane. Uh, so you never can count out Frankie Edgar. I mean, the dude's a dog. He will never give up in a fight. But his chin seems to be gone. 
I, I, it looks like the cuts to bantamweight are working for him. You know, he hasn't missed weight, but, you know, cutting to bantamweight as a fucking grandpa, you know, probably isn't, you know, the best thing on his health. So it, it's just tough. And, 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 and again, Marlon Vera is a guy who wins a lot of these fights, wins every fight against fighters below him. But when he fights in, in big moments, he tends to lose those fights. I mean, you know, the Jose Aldo fight, if he wins that, I mean, this fucker's on the doorstep of a title shot. I mean, you know, maybe a win or two away, but, you know, he's in the top seven at that point in, in the most stacked division in the UFC. And, you know, he, he chokes on that one. You know, he's had a couple of bigger fights. He had a fight against John Lineker uh, back when John Lineker was, you know, kind of a, a bigger deal. Lost to him. I mean, this is a guy who kind of, I don't want to say he folds, you know, and I don't want to cherry pick. I mean, it's two times it's happened in his in his career, but, you know, the, the, the big opportunities he's had kind of falters in him. So it, it's tough for me to pick. That being said, I am going to go Marlon Vera uh, to win this one. I'm going to go by decision. I'm going to, you know, Frankie's tough. I don't think he's going to give up. Maybe he gets put to sleep. Marlon Vera, certainly that would fit the profile, you know, putting uh, Frankie Edgar to sleep. But, you know, I think he's motivated because... Uh, you know, the, the, the fight's going to be in New York. I think something we should also watch for, I, I think this this could be the last fight of Frankie Edgar's career. It really could be. Um, he probably could keep fighting for, for several more years and keep getting knocked out. But I don't... And, and he has a big name, so never underestimate the power of having a big name in the UFC. But... The writing's kind of on the wall. He's never going to work his way back to a title shot. He's had a million title shots. He's accomplished a bunch of great things in, in the UFC. The sport is kind of passing him by. His chin is just, you know, glass at this point. Um, I think this could be the last fight for Frankie Edgar. I wouldn't say that I would bet on that being the favorite for the outcome uh, tonight, but I'd say don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. You know, a little birdie told me, Judge Kin, you know, a little birdie told me, that uh, you know, maybe we should watch out for Frankie Edgar uh, retiring, but uh, I digress. But yeah, we'll go Marlon Vera by decision. All right, we're gonna move on here uh, to the second fight here on the main card is gonna be in the banter, or excuse me, the featherweight division between Shane Burgos and Billy Corintillo. Burgos is thirteen and three. Billy Q is sixteen and three. We'll take a look at the odds. Burgos basically across the board is going to be a minus 200 favorite yet another uh, tricky one to pick here uh very easily could be fight of the night uh you know i love uh i, I love the matchmaking here we got burgos coming in at number 14 billy q is unranked obviously if billy q wins probably gonna get in the uh in in the old rankings there shane burgos also from uh, uh new york uh brooklyn uh, excuse me, Bronx. Don't want to mess that up. Apparently, yeah, apparently that's a big deal. But he's from the Bronx. Uh, Billy Q is also from uh, the state of New York. And uh, you know this one's gonna be uh, an absolute banger. I mean, two uh, fantastic strikers. I don't really know where their grappling uh, fits in here, but two very good strikers, two incredibly active strikers. I mean, both of their significant strikes landed per minute are above seven. Burgos gets hit a lot more than uh, Billy Q, and uh, the percentages are a lot higher for Billy Q uh, for offense. The defense is actually pretty good percentage-wise for for Burgos, but you know there's so many strikes that he he does end up getting hit quite often. Uh, you know I guess you'd have to give the advantage on the ground to Billy Q. Just looking at the stats, a lot more active, 1.6 uh, submissions per 15 minutes. Excuse me, uh, but the takedown defense is 94% for Burgos. So this one might, you know, be forced to, to be a stand-up affair between these uh, two fighters. Uh, Billy Q fought on the uh, infamous uh, season 23 of The Ultimate Fighter, uh, which was uh, McGregor, excuse me, 22, which was McGregor versus Faber. Uh, took a little a little while to get into the UFC after that. Had to go back to the uh, the regional scene. But uh, he's been in the UFC ever since 2019. He had a three-fight winning streak, four-fight winning streak, depending on how you want to look at it, if you count the contender series. Did suffer a loss to Gavin Tucker, which is a little... 
A little interesting, because I don't think Gavin Tucker's that good, but came back with a win over Gabriel Benitez. And Shane Burgos is obviously a madman, uh, very good striker, tough guy. Bit of a weird last performance against Edson Barboza, where he got knocked out in round three. And he got knocked out with that delayed strike, where it just took him like three seconds to process that he was knocked out and then to stumble back along the cage. So that's a little concerning. Hopefully everything health-wise is good, and I'm, you know, I'm going to assume it is because he's back in there fighting, and I'm, you know, I got to assume the UFC would, you know, run him through the ringer of, of tests. But you know, it's a guy who's on a two-fight losing streak, hasn't won since 2019 back at UFC 244, where he knocked out Makwan Amir Khani, a very tough. I mean, this is just impossible. I mean, this is this is so fucking hard to to pick. You got the fluke weird loss to Gavin Tucker that's making me not want to pick Billy Q, but you have the phantom knockout, you know, against Barboza that's making me not want to pick Burgos. I mean, this is impossible. I'm going to go with Billy Q. Fuck the wrestling. The wrestling's not going to factor in here. Billy Q's not going to be able to land a takedown on Burgos. Burgos's takedown defense is just too good. I like the striking. It appears Billy Q is a little more calculated of a striker, but he really can, he really can, you know, throw down when he when he wants to. But you know, Shane Burgos, he is a hurricane. He is a hurricane, and that is an accurate, well-deserved uh, nickname. So this is close. Could go either way. I'm gonna go Billy Q, and I'm gonna go by decision. You know, these are two tough fighters to try to finish, especially in a in a three-round fight. So I'll go Billy Q by decision on this one. All right, moving on to the main card opener. We're going to have a fight here. Uh, essentially, a number one contender fight here at 155 between Justin Gaethje and Michael Chandler. I mean, you know, when Dana White says something, you got to listen because he's the boss. So, you know, when he when he lets you know his opinion, I mean, you can disagree with it or not, but that really lets you know strongly what's going to happen next because... You know, he, he makes the decisions. But, you know, talking about, uh, well, you know, is Islam Makachev going to be next in line for a title fight? And, you know, him saying Gaethje's two, Chandler's four, you know, kind of leads me to believe that, you know, the winner of this is going to get back in there for a, a title shot. So, you know, when, when he when he talks, you got to listen. Uh, Gaethje's 22-3, and three, Chandler is 22-6. and six. We'll take a look at the uh, odds here. And Justin Gaethje is going to be the small... Minus 176 favorite, according to the opening. Everywhere else, he's uh, in the lower uh, minus 200s for uh, a favorite. Um, Obviously a banger, just a tremendous fight. Uh, You know, not only could this fight be a uh, a fight night main event, it really could be a pay-per-view main event, to be honest with you. And I might... I might even find this fight more compelling over 25 minutes. I, it's almost a disservice that it's a, a three-round fight. Um, you know, a lot of people making a big deal about the finishing ability of both fighters. Uh, you know, I think that's uh, that's very, very fair. Uh, you know, it it would be a little surprising if either fighter made it to the to the final bell in this one. Um, we got Justin Gaethje, who has not fought since his title loss to Khabib uh, a year ago, 13 months ago. So a guy who has not been... I mean, that's not the longest layoff in the world, but you know, it is a kind of a layoff. And you got Michael Chandler, who's you know already on fight number three here in the UFC. It'll be his third fight in 2021. So although he wasn't really racking up the cage time because, you know, his first fight lasted half a round and his second fight barely got to the second uh you know outing number three here for Chandler so that's uh almost two almost three fights since uh since Gaethje's last fought um again I don't know how this one's gonna play out but it's gonna be fun and I don't want to jinx it too much because I would hate for this fight to end up being you know, honestly, I think the last time we were hyped for a fight like this that wasn't like a title fight that you know was just put together together just for pure fucking violence uh, probably was you know Derek Lewis and uh, Francis Ngannou, and uh, so I don't want to jinx it and have it end up like that. 
but uh, this is going to be a good one. Justin Gaethje seems pissed. The layoff is a little concerning. Um, He has one-punch knockout power. Chandler has one-punch knockout power. Chandler's the better wrestler, I would say, but Justin Gaethje makes a big deal about his defensive uh, wrestling, which I, I do believe he has because, you know, he was a very good collegiate wrestler, but... I almost wonder if um, I almost wonder if those skills might have uh, you know atrophied, suffered atrophy. That's got to be the right word. But I almost wonder if his his skills have have, have suffered uh, atrophy when it comes to you know defensive wrestling because we we just don't see this guy ever use any of his wrestling. I mean we're always told how great of a wrestler he he is, but in the UFC and, and a lot of times he hasn't you know needed to to lean on it but I feel like he's going to need to lean on it here I mean I really think that you know for Chandler to win this fight I mean he could just knock him out with one punch and that's the end of it although you know we haven't seen that from anybody fighting Gaethje it is a possibility but you know Gaethje's tough fighter hard to put away um I think I think it it's almost more likely that Chandler submits him than than he knocks him out but you know maybe the submission is is uh materialized from his hands um when you look at the striking i'd say the striking probably favors justin gaethje he does get hit more than he hits but when he hits it's insane and uh you know he he can take as much damage as possible chandler's more calculated i think the reason why i'm picking michael chandler to win this fight and i'm gonna go by we'll we'll see we'll see what I choose for the main card showdown. This is not my main card showdown pick. I'm going to go Michael Chandler by finish. That's my prediction. I will officially choose TKO or submission for the main card showdown. But I'm going to go Chandler by finish because I think it's it's relatively even how he does it. But I, I think Chandler wins because of his fight IQ. I just think he's he's a smarter fighter. I think he's smarter. You could give the wrestling advantage to, to Chandler. You could give the toughness advantage to Gaethje. You could you could say you could give the cardio advantage to, to Gaethje if you wanted. You could give the striking. You could give the power to Gaethje. But I think, you know, when it when it finally comes uh, to fruition, I think it's Chandler who's going to win this one because he's just smarter. He's smarter. You know, he's he's not outgunned. He might be you know a little behind when we compare some of the, the you know the strengths and weaknesses head to head but i think the threat of a takedown and or the actual takedown the the wrestling and the fight iq is what's going to get it done for michael chandler i like the uh, underdog here to win uh, by finish all right moving on to the prelim headliner it's going to be in the middleweight division between andreas michaelitis and Alex Pajeda. Uh, Michaelidis is 13 and 4. Pajeda is 3 and 1. Take a look at the odds for this one. And Pajeda is the minus 210 favorite. Uh, obviously, the UFC has tremendous expectations for Pajeda. World champion, kickboxer. Don't know much more other than that because uh, I don't follow kickboxing. I know he. Beat Stylebender twice, knocked him out, uh, and one of them knocked him out pretty badly. And he's on the pre- he's on he's the prelim headliner on the biggest pay per view of the year. That's no mistake. Uh, Mikolitis is just some guy thrown in here. Uh, it's a little interesting. I'm not going to talk that much about Mikolitis to be honest with you, but it's a little interesting that he's down at 185. I, you know, I, I probably like that a little better than him at one, or, uh, at 205. Really seems like he wasn't a 205er. So maybe that's an interesting little wrinkle in this fight, but you know, Pajeda, they're they're really they're really betting that he does something special here, that he really you know forces a, a rematch uh, with uh, Stylebender. You know, I forget who said this. I, I believe it was somebody else who said this about what Joe Silva said, who was a former UFC matchmaker for a long time. But he was basically talking about like. You never really have to promote the champion. You never have to worry about the champion, uh, you know, people becoming champion in in the UFC. There will always be a champion. Uh, But your job as a matchmaker is to to create interesting storylines for contenders. 
Your job is to build up contenders. Your job is to, to, to you know, create these storylines with contenders, and somebody will be the champ. Some One of those contenders will be the champ. Your job is not to build a champ. It's to build these contenders and get people interested in the contenders. And, uh, you know, I think they're really pushing hard here with Pajeda. Obviously, he's going to be a great striker. Uh, you know, the, the concern for anybody coming over from kickboxing is going to be, can they stop takedowns? Uh, can they wrestle? Can they not get submitted? How is their cardio? That's a real concern because it's different, you know, striking cardio versus, you know, uh, wrestling cardio and, and the rest of MMA. You got to mix the uh, martial arts. And generally, we don't see fighters have a whole lot of success when they come over uh, from other disciplines and, and are singularly focused. It's a lot. It's so much harder. It's so much harder to be really, really good at one thing and do that full-time for a career and then come over and try to, you know, uh, build your way build your way up that way as opposed to just being a mixed martial artist from day one. I mean, obviously obviously it worked out for Stylebender, but, you know, it didn't work out for Gokan Saki. You know, it, it's, it's, it's a very difficult thing. So if he can manage to pull that off, even, even if he gets a win here, I'll, I'll still be impressed because... You know, it, you really have to mix the martial arts. I mean, Gokhan was a really good kickboxer, but he got knocked out by uh, Khalil Roundtree, who's not necessarily a striker. So it's like you could—you even have scenarios where you could be great at striking. Pajeda could be amazing at striking, but he could get knocked out by Mikalidis because striking's different in MMA. When you're worried about stopping a takedown and you have to lower your hands to stop a takedown, yeah, you can get knocked out. So it's just a completely different thing. I mean, that being said, I'll go with Pajeda. People tell me this guy's talented. They tell me he's a good striker. It's going to be a lot taller and have a sizable reach advantage over Mikalidis. I don't think Mikalidis is that good. So we'll go Pajeda uh, by knockout because he's uh, he's a good striker. But, you know, I, have, I do have concerns about, you know, if he can do anything in the UFC uh, you know, and actually climb the, the rankings and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting uh, regardless. You know, I, I like wild cards getting thrown in there like uh, Pajeda. All right, moving on. Uh, on the prelims, we'll have a fight here at 155 between Al Iaquinta and Bobby Green. Iaquinta is 14-6-1, Green 27-12-1. and we'll Take a look at the odds here. Bobby Green will be the minus 120 favorite um kind of an interesting fight here obviously we're getting the return of uh, of raging al hasn't fought uh since uh holy smokes ufc 243 back in uh october of 2019 he lost to dan hooker the last time al iaquinta fought israel adesanya was not the undisputed middleweight champion so it's you know how, oh how the time flies by, with uh, you know things like this. So obviously the the layoff is pretty concerning, pretty concerning. You know, twenty five month layoff here for Rage and Al. Uh, and this is a pretty tough test here against uh, Bobby Green. I've really liked Bobby Green. He's he's kind of becoming one of my favorites over the last uh, year year and a half. He's very very active. He had a terrible stretch from 2014 to 2019, where, where he was like two, two seven and one, in in like a ten fight stretch, and then he had you know three straight really nice wins in a row. Clay Guida, Lando Venata, Alan Patrick, you know really nice wins. His striking was was really good, and now he's on a two fight losing streak. He lost to Thiago Moises. He lost to Rafael Fiziev. Um. I'm going to go with Al Iaquinta by decision. I think Al is just a better fighter. I do think Al is kind of overrated. Uh, you know, even in his even in his prime, uh, I kind of think he's overrated. But, uh, you know, Bobby Green doesn't beat... Bobby Green doesn't beat good fighters. He can beat average fighters. He can beat slightly above average fighters. But he, he struggles against, uh, you know, guys like this. But he's far more active... And, uh, you know, anything anything can happen. But, you know, I think Al will be, uh, you know, thoroughly motivated. Fights in New York. I don't know if this is a one-off or if he's coming back uh, uh, for real. But, you know, he's 34. He's not, you know, it's not like he's coming back at 39 or something. So, 
you know, I, I like uh, Ally Quinta in this one uh, by unanimous decision. All right, moving on. Uh, we'll have a fight in the middleweight division between Phil Hayes and Chris Curtis. Hayes is 11-2. Curtis is 26-8. and eight. We'll look at the uh, odds for this one. And Hayes will be the minus 350 favorite. I think that's... Uh, Putting it mildly, I think he's going to walk right through uh, Chris Curtis. Hayes is uh, a very good fighter. Uh, 32, should be coming right into his prime. Should be a guy who could probably work his way up into the rankings uh, You know, in, in short succession here. Uh, he's, he's on a great winning streak. Uh, two, three wins in the UFC now at this point. You know, Wins over Kyle Dawkins, Nasserdine, Nasserdine Imavov, who will be fighting uh, a little bit before him tonight. And uh, Jacob Malkoon, you know, he just he struggled a little bit early and I, earlier. And I heard him say, you know, he probably joined MMA or started MMA a little too early. And you know, I'm in, I'm inclined to believe him. You know, he had uh, exhibition loss to Andrew Sanchez, had that bad bad contender series knockout loss, basically the knockout of the first year of the contender series uh, against Julian Marquez. But you know, he seems to have really figured it out. Great wrestler, good power. Striking could get better, does get hurt at times. Uh, we've seen that, I believe, in the Imovov fight. Maybe even the Dawkins fight. He does get hurt. You you can hurt him. But uh, Chris Curtis, yeah, I mean, this uh, he, he's going he's gonna to lose this one. 34 years old, making his debut here. He's on a five-fight winning streak. It, it's on the regional scene. I mean, this was a guy who flamed out of the PFL. Uh, he had a three-fight losing streak and then got kicked out of the the pfl in 2019 so um yeah i think hayes will uh, knock him out in round one all right moving on speaking of nasardine imovov we'll have uh, uh nasardine imovov fighting edmund shabazian here in the middleweight division division imovov is 10 and 3 shabazian is 11 and 2 we'll take a look at the odds here Shabazian is the minus 130 favorite. Uh, this is interesting. I mean, quite the year, year, year and a half for Edmund Shabazian. Uh, no longer, no longer really the golden boy. He, he's still at number 11 in the UFC's rankings. I think that's kind of crazy, but he's 23 and he's on the ropes. I mean, he's kind of like, he's kind of the Macy Barber of the, the middleweight division. I mean, two straight losses, obviously not the end of the world. This isn't boxing, but you know, you really don't want to make it three. You really don't want to lose this one against Imovov. Uh, you know, really, really got put in his place by Derek Brunson. Looking back, that was a fucking dick move to put Edmund Chabazian up against Brunson. Holy shit. Uh, and then got kind of worked over by Jack Hermanson back in May. So this is a guy who has not won since uh, UFC 244, where he knocked out Brad Tavares. I still think he's a good fighter and uh, you know, you gotta you gotta figure that he's still improving uh, leaps and bounds, you know, from month to month because of of his age. But you know, I've doubted I've doubted Imovov before, and he's he's kind of proved me wrong at times. You know, I I definitely thought he was gonna lose that fight in July against Ian Heinish. Uh, I thought he was gonna lose against Jordan Williams, and I thought he was gonna lose against Phil Hayes, and he did lose to Phil Hayes. But um, you know, he's kind of. He's kind of surprised me. He is a good striker, and, and Shabazian's going to have to watch out for that. I mean, you know, Shabazian has been hurt uh, on the feet. He's, he's a dangerous guy uh, as well. And this is a guy who, in, in Imovov, who has not been finished since his first fight of his career. So not really an easy guy to, to put away, just a good striker who's always kind of going to be hanging around. Uh the, the numbers are not good for Shabazian. 3.2 significant strikes landed per minute. He absorbs 4.4. You look at Imovov, 4.3 to 2.2. So, you know, turning negative for Shabazian and, you know, pretty, pretty solid positive there for Imovov. Obviously, the um, strength of schedule certainly, certainly is on the side of Edmund Shabazian. Far more active looking for the takedowns, but the takedown defense of uh, 70% for Imovov is pretty good. He also uh, attempts 1.5 submissions uh, per 15 minute, which is uh, three times as many as Shabazian looks for on average. So, you know, he's got good takedown defense, but he still looks for submissions when he's taken down. So, you know, maybe that might give Edmund Shabazian some pause 
on looking to take down Imavov because he's pretty active uh, with submissions when people try to take him down. So this this is an interesting one. I, I'm going to go with Shabazian. I'm going to go with the hype train. You know, it got derailed for a minute. You know, now we're back now. He's back on the back on the tracks. And uh, I think he gets a, a gritty win over Imavov. I don't think he finishes him. I think it's close. 29-28, maybe even a split decision. It's not going to be pretty, but I think Edmund Shabazian is going to get back into the win column here, which is really, you know, at the end of the day, that's that's kind of all you can ask for. All right, moving on here to the welterweight division, the swelterweight division. We'll have uh, Jordan Williams coming in at 9-5, and five, taking on Ian Gary, who's 7-0. and oh. uh, We'll also look at the odds here. Ian Gary is going to be the minus 375 favorite. Don't really have to spend a whole lot of time on this one. I don't watch a whole lot of Cage Warriors. People are telling me Ian Gary's the next Conor McGregor. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll wait and see on that one, but seems to be very, very talented, uh, compelling guy. Uh, Williams, I don't think, is a very good fighter. I do like that he's down at, at welterweight as opposed to middleweight. He is definitely not a middleweight. Uh, good to see him getting weight cutting under control. I believe, I don't know which other two but he has diabetes i believe which uh was the reason why he was up at middleweight and weighing in at like 183 because it's pretty hard to cut weight when you're uh diabetic but you know he seems to have uh you know worked his way down to 170 which i think is an appropriate weight class for him he was born in menominee falls wisconsin so that really makes me want to go for him but i really think he's going to get worked over very badly here by ian gary uh, probably the last fight in the UFC for Jordan Williams. Um, yeah, I just think Ian Gary's better at, at just about everything. So, yeah, we'll go Ian Gary by, uh, well, let's go round two, round two knockout. Let's not get too crazy. Let's not go round one. We'll, we'll go round two. All right, we'll kind of just fly through these right now because these are... Uh, not super important. We got a, uh, a heavyweight fight here between John Vellante and Chris Barnett. Uh, two very big fat guys who are not very good at fighting. Coin flip. I'm not even going to pick one there. It's just a coin flip. I don't know. You you guys decide. Who do you want me to take? Just flip a coin and that's who I pick in this one. Don't care. Uh, we got a light heavyweight fight between Dustin Jacoby and John Allen. Not very interested in, in, in this fight, to be honest with you. I'm interested in just Dustin Jacoby good storyline good striker he's undefeated in his return back to the ufc he, you know he's uh 3-0-1 has that split draw to iwan kutalaba and i'm not interested in this one because i don't know why he's fighting john allen john allen's not good he's john allen so dustin jacoby is 3-0-1 in the ufc he needs a tougher test john allen is 0-1 with one no contest in the ufc so how they get put together, I don't know how that works. John Allen, you know, is fighting for his his job in the UFC, and then you have some other guy who's undefeated through four fights. So I'm, I'm thoroughly unimpressed with the matchmaking. It seems like I'm, you know, kind of, you know, picking nits here because, you know, they're both, uh, you know, unranked and things like that. But terrible matchmaking, don't care. Uh, easy win for Dustin Jacoby. Uh, we also have Melsic Bagdasarian taking on Bruno Silva. I'll go Bagdasarian. Uh, seems to be a better striker. Souza missed weight by uh, a good amount. Uh, so things are probably not going super hot for Silva. Or Souza, excuse me. And uh, speaking of missing weight, uh, for the prelim opener, we'll have uh, CJ Vergara who missed weight coming in at 9-2. Ode Osborne coming in at 9-4. and four. Interesting little spark plug fight to, to start off uh, uh, UFC 268 here. Uh, I like Osborne. You know, people people say that uh, Vergara's good coming off of the Contender Series. You know, I don't know. I don't really like people who miss weight. And, uh, you know, apparently statistically, if you miss weight, you're more likely to win. But I always give them the benefit of the doubt, I guess, that it was a very hard weight cut. And if you had a very hard weight cut and failed, uh, you're probably uh, in a very bad place physically. So uh, we'll go Ode Osborne. I know he got knocked out pretty badly in his last fight, but... You know, he's a, he's a dangerous fighter. He's a finisher. Could knock him out. Does have a little bit of power for a 125-er. I mean, he has fought up as, uh, at, at bantamweight, and he's fought at, uh, I think, even at even at featherweight, I want to say. Or maybe it was a catchweight, but 
he's kind of a bigger guy uh, for for flyweight, and he's very good with submissions as well. So we'll go uh, we'll go Ode Osborne by uh, finish. We'll go submission in uh, round two. All right, with that, well, we're going to wrap it up here. Again, this was our preview of UFC 268, Usman versus Covington. Again, you can follow me on Twitter at Owen Ely MN. You can follow North Star Sports on Twitter at North Star MIN. You got to check out our website at NorthStarsports.media. Uh, and, you know, just look out for the uh, main card showdown happening later tonight. Thanks for tuning in, everybody.